Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, chaplain, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. So in Revelation chapter 4, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. I'm going to stop right there. We're going to go through the whole thing, but I want us to understand all that's happening. Because this is the second of the great visions that John the revelator John the Apostle has had. The first we know was in chapter 1, while John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He received a vision while he was there, and we saw it in chapter 1, verse 19, that he laid it out, the things that were, in other words, past, the things which are, and we saw that in chapters 2 and 3 of the church age, and now we're into the things which shall be, that are hereafter, he says. And so, in chapter 1, we begin to see the Lamb of God. We saw him as the great high priest. Today, we see the temple. Today, in chapter 4, we see all that's around the throne. And that's really what my message is about. And we're going to talk about all of the different prepositions that we find here about the throne of God. Because this is the very place where we see that. And in the second vision, this vision of heaven, John is told to write these things down. And the vision goes right through chapter 5. And we're going to hopefully get through all of that today. But I'm going to try to lay out so that you see, because as we get into chapter 6, we begin to see the great wrath that God has. But now we see the glory of God. And that's what we talked about from the very beginning. The book of Revelation is to reveal Jesus Christ. It's to show him. It's to show his might, his glory. It's to show all that the Father has given to the Son. And it culminates in that beautiful ending. And we see in chapters uh, from 20 to 21, 22, we see the great culmination of all of those things. So this is John's second vision, the second unveiling, the second apocalypse. And he is still on the Isle of Patmos, exiled, of course. But he has a sense that is beyond this world. He has a vision that is beyond what we might see. Because it says in verse 2, immediately I was in the Spirit. I'm going to stop right there. He was in the Spirit. And what does that mean? It means that he was able to see a lot of what uh, was in heaven, but nothing that compared to things that were on earth. He began to see in heaven, and he was transformed. He is given this divine experience, and he is transcended into another realm as such. We don't see that he has actually left earth, but he is just able to see beyond into something that is spiritual. 
And so we are carried with John, as it were, to enter into the scenes of heaven. We're able to go in and see what John saw because he's given us these word pictures that we could understand these things. Now there's a lot to see. There's nothing that compares to the throne of God. Nothing that in all of your experience ever will compare to this center part, this throne of God. And, of course, the Lamb. And that's what we see in chapter 5. So the focus of this trip on the throne, the one who sits on it, and the Lamb of God. And as the chapter begins, John is suddenly face to face with the majesty of God himself. And God, we understand, cannot be contained in one place. God fills heaven and earth. There's no one place that he fills. But there is a center point, the throne of God, a center point where all of the angels are around. And that's what we're going to see. That's what verse 1 talks about. After these things, after these things, what is he saying? At this very beginning, he, he's saying, after these things, and John is relating us back to what we've seen before, to the seven churches. He's saying, after that church age, after what I have seen in chapter 1, seeing the very glory of Jesus Christ in and among his churches, after all of that, now these things are going, I looked, what things? Those things that were, have already taken place. The things that were and the things that were during the time of John and now we're going into this new time, this forward time. And so after experiencing Christ ministering among the churches and after experiencing all of those things in the first three chapters, he's now saying these things. I looked and behold. Interesting the word behold because it, it's really a transforming thing. And really when he says that it means wow, amazing. That's what John says. He says, I looked and I was amazed at the throne and the glory of God. So the phrase then, after these things, I looked and I was amazed, a door standing open in heaven. Now this door doesn't open, it's already opened. When we closed out chapter 3, we had a church that had its door closed. And Christ is there knocking, trying to get in. But now we have an open door into heaven. I think that's symbolic because salvation is still available. Salvation is still there. You can still enter into the very throne of God, into the very temple of God. And we're going to see how these things are alike. And he hears a loud voice. And he's told at the end of this verse, Come up here, and I will show you what things must take place after these things. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute. He started out after these things, and he closes out there in, in verse 1 that these things which must place, take place after these things. In other words, after his vision and all of the things that are going to take place in chapter 6 and 7 and 8, and we see all of the seals, we're going to understand how the Romans put their will and how they sealed those. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about how Christ unseals that and how a little bit more is seen and more is seen and how it takes place over Daniel's seven-year period. 
We're going to look at that because that seven-year period that is still future for us, we're still looking for this seven-year time period. And where we will be, I think we can be able to see that. I think we're going to be able to find out if you are a child of God, where are you going to be in all of this? The last three and a half years are called the Great Tribulation, or sometimes it is referred to as the Wrath of God. We're going to be talking and looking at all of those. And that's what he says when he says, come up here and I will show you what things must take place after these things. And so the scene begins to shift. And every time we'll see these words, and we will see them over and over, John is saying, after these things, I looked, after the visions that I had, I looked and here's another vision. That's the idea of it. There was one vision, but now there's another vision. And at the end of the verse, the Lord's saying, after what I just told you about, this is what's going to then happen. You get the sense of that? Yes, see? So it's a transition because all things which were, the things that are, and the things that shall be, as we've shifted this, what are we going to learn? We're going to learn from all of this everything that takes place in and around the throne. On your handout, I've given you some of the different prepositions that are used just in these two chapters about at the throne, around the throne, in the midst of the throne, behind the throne, above the throne. It talks about all of those things that show the position around and about the throne of God. In our spirit, we can feel that we can be there, but yet it's not something that is tangible in the flesh. So furthermore, it's a heaven where the Lord has been preparing us a place that he tells us in John 14. And if I go, I will prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. That's the place we're talking about. That's the spot. So he has gone to the Father's house and he's preparing a home for us in heaven, a mansion, it says. This is that heaven that we're looking at. And there's an interesting note because John says, I saw a door open standing there. It was a door of heaven, the heaven where God dwells, the heaven where Christ is. And having ascended, preparing a place for us. And for the rest of the book of Revelation, John spends most of his time in heaven. The rest of it from here on, he has heavenly visions. There's, there are times, of course, when the visions are on earth, he sees everything that's happening on earth, but it's from a heavenly perspective. And very different now from what we saw in chapter 1 chapter 2. Chapter 1, he saw Christ standing amidst the churches, and he saw the glorified high priest Jesus standing amidst his churches. And now John is called up, and he sees in the open door. So here... For the first time, John is lifted up into heaven, and this is his vision of the heavenlies and looking back on the earth. So I've said that so that we get the idea that we can stand like John was standing in this place, so that we might see what John describes inspired of God, that we, we might be encouraged and blessed. Hi, this is Paul Thomas. Sorry to interrupt your listening. Permit us to take a moment to let you know how you can contact us at School of Ministry. You can now reach us at schoolofministryresources.org or 
BibleLandmarks.com. You can also reach us at P.O. Box 837, Valley Springs, California, 95252. Thank you for tuning in. Now, back to the message. The central theme is the throne. And we might be interested because the word throne is used 13 times in these 11 verses of chapter 4. 13 times. 11 times it speaks of the throne of God. And twice it speaks of the throne of the 24 elders. And the word throne in the book of Revelation here is, uh, or throughout the book of Revelation, is used about 40 times. But in chapter 4, the main focus of John is the throne. Immediately I was in the spirit, verse 2, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. Behold, now look. That's what he's saying. Look and see the throne. The door is open and now a throne. Immediately the voice that he heard, immediately there was a summons from the Lord and he went into a transcendent kind of an ecstatic state and he went into a condition where as I said earlier, he touches lightly in time and space, but he is taken and he records these things that, as Paul said, that I was in the Spirit and transferred to the third heaven. And what he means is I was under the control of the Holy Spirit, taken out of the time, space, dimension, and he's in a spiritual condition that is produced by the Holy Spirit, and he is sensitized to the great things of God, the great things of heaven, and he understands things that we could not see normally. And he is understanding the absolute universal sovereignty of God. This is here to establish God's rule. From here on, John, in all of laying these things out, he unfolds the beautiful sovereign God. Note the throne that John saw is not in a palace. Oftentimes we think in our minds, well, a throne belongs in a palace. But this throne, God's throne, is in the temple. And that's important because this throne as a in the temple of God was something that in the earthly tabernacle, in the earthly temple, we don't see a throne. We do see the Ark of the Covenant. We see the mercy seat. We see the angels that were over the mercy seat. And we might just remember and all of those things. But here is the throne of God. In chapter 11, verse 19, it says, And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and great, a great hailstorm. So this place is not like we think of as a royal throne, but it is a throne that cannot be overthrown. It cannot be put off. We have things happening politically where people are dethroned. They're taken out of office. In some Central American nations, they're literally dethroned. They're, whoever has the greatest army, whoever has those, they can come in and they just take it away and put in a new leader. They put in somebody else. They put someone else in that place. This is not that way. This is permanent. This is the very throne of God. And, and it's very familiar in its flashings and the, the lightnings, all that come forward from the throne of God that we see in the Old Testament in Ezekiel. 
And in chapter 14 and verse 15, again, to enrich our understanding, it tells us about God and his wrath and his fury. But it's God who's on the throne. And it says, another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice. In other words, there is God on his throne in the temple dispatching angels. And in chapter 15 and verse 6, it says, the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple dispatched from the very throne of God. So there again we have God's throne in the temple where he's dispatching angels that are taking care of all of the things that we're going to see in this book. So this is the center point. This is that which is so crucial. Wherever he is, the angels surround him. And there we find the angels coming out of the temple. In verse 8, the temple was filled with smoke and the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels was finished. And again in 16, 17, and 18, it says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl on the air. The loud voice came out of temple from the throne. There it is. The temple is at the throne of God, the place where the flashes of lightning sounds, peals of thunder, and all of those things. It is this heavenly place. And think about all that takes place around. It's not a portable throne. It's not moved. Remember in Isaiah, when Isaiah was going through his great things, he said, I saw there a fixed throne. I saw there God high and lifted up. It's very important that we recognize no one's going to knock God off of this throne. Satan has come in and he has tried. He has tried to dethrone God. Amazing that he would have such gall to do that. But let me remind you that in everything, God is on the throne. Now, day by day as you go through life, it's a, this is an important understanding that God is in control. He is God everything in his hands. Isaiah had a problem because in Isaiah's day, King Uzziah had, had ruled for 52 years and he had a godly rule and he had worked in Israel to bring things about. However, King Uzziah, who had been king, tried to act as a priest and he enters into the temple and he tries to act as a priest and God kills him. God just strikes him down. And it seems then that the world is falling apart. And Isaiah goes into the temple of God to see, is God still on the throne? Is God still in control? And John opens up this vision for us that God is on the throne. You see my sense? Do you see my understanding? That in everything that we're going to see in these chapters after this, God is on the throne. He's taking care of everything. It's all according to his will. It's all according to that. And that's why Isaiah rushed in and he recognized, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In other words, how could I have ever doubted that God's hand was there, that God was still there? So before we get into the horrors and the trauma and the fearful things of the end times, let it be known that God's throne is fixed and sure. And so we meet the throne. That's what we find. 
Here we have on the throne, around the throne, from the throne, before the throne, in the throne, around, uh, on the throne, toward the throne. That's all of it. That's the whole thrust of these. What's coming out of the throne? What's before the throne? What's going on in the throne? Everything is centered around that. It's important to recognize that there's a, a many, many books that have been written by Jewish scholars on the mysticism from Ezekiel's vision of the throne. And, and Ezekiel's vision of the throne is exactly like John's vision. But they have written huge volumes as they study this celestial vision. And they've written these things, and I think many of them are on point. Many of them are, are, are very, very true and are actual. So let's start with on the throne. In verse 2, he says, Behold, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Remember, here again is the word behold. In verse 2, we have, Behold the throne. Look at the throne. That's what he's saying. Here's the throne. Look at this. See what it is. And he is seeing one who sat in heaven and one who sat on the throne. He sat there. Why? Because now as the king is seated, he is reigning. He's not standing. Book of Hebrews, Christ is said to have gone and to sat at the throne of his right of his father. Why? Because his work was done. Jesus' work was finished. And Hebrews talks about that, that he was set down now. No more work to be done. He completed it all. But now we see God Almighty sitting on the throne. And this is because it is the place where he is ruling and reigning. His work is not done. His work still goes on. But he is the king. He is the Almighty sitting there upon the throne. And John doesn't tell us the name of the one who is sitting on the throne. I think it's interesting that he leaves that out. He doesn't say Jehovah God. He doesn't say it's the Almighty. And maybe that is in respect, and maybe it's because of his Hebrew background, because the Jews would not say the word for God. They still will not write it. They use the word Hashem. Hashem means his name, the name. There, the Jews will not write the tetragrammaton, which is a big word that means a four-letter word. So the tetragrammaton is simply a four-letter word, and that's because the name of God was so holy that they would pick up a new quill. Whenever the scribes were writing the holy name of God, they would pick up a new quill, and that quill was only used to write the name of God. And then they would put it down. That was holy. That was only for that. Well, maybe that's why John doesn't tell us in all of those things. And maybe that's why we don't see that. But it identifies it is God. We don't know why he doesn't mention the name of God. It's really not necessary because we already see. We know who it is. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. 
If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.